Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 21 of Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. We are coming to you this week from the Haddonfield Armory in Haddonfield, Illinois. I am your host, Jeremy Vilmer, and now the star of the show, Bobby Blaze. Mm-hmm. I like the way you talk, Jeremy. <laughs> I just come in from over at the nervous hospital up there at Smith's Grove Sanitarium. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, kind of cross-reference there, but what the hell. Yeah. Man, it's good to be back on the air with you. Yeah, it is It is always a pleasure, Bobby. And we've got a uh, one hell of a topic for today. You want to tell everybody what it is? Dude, man, well, it's episode 21. It's the scariest gimmicks that got over in professional wrestling. we got a great top ten. I'm real happy about it, excited about it, actually. And, of course, um, with the holiday season, man, I know you're stoked about that, so I think we just got a really, really good episode lined up. Again, it's the scariest gimmicks that got over. Yeah. Um, I do want to say real quick that we did dig in on a couple of these. A few of them are going to be pretty obvious. But I was talking to my buddy uh, Joe Slepsky, who rose, runs the Joe on Joe, G.I. Joe podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he said one of his favorite things that on this show, because he's not a huge wrestling fan, but he watched it back in the day. And he gets to learn about people he never heard of back then because all he watched in uh, Chicago would be WWE. Okay. So he gets to hear about stuff that, you know, gets out. Also, when we talked about the song Millie and Billy, he immediately went out and bought the album so he could figure out what the <laughs> hell we were talking about. <laughs> well, we could help uh, pack uh, some Alice Cooper money there, gulk his multi-millions. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> one more album to sell. Good for him. Yeah. Of course, he is one of our favorite, you know, oh, yeah. singers and <laughs> performers, musicians, what have you. But, Did you know uh, yeah. back in 1978, Bob Dylan said that Alice Cooper was one of the greatest songwriters of that generation? Oh, no, I didn't know that, but yeah. it's, it's not hard to fathom that, you know, because, man, he, he's, he's got some great songs. Now, all that stuff makes so much sense. And, of course, that, what, the, from the inside, we talked about oh, that, yeah. before, where he wrote that. And that's, that, that album, it just, I don't think there's a bad song in there as far as, well, every album's a concept album if your concept is to make an album. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's you know that's one of those things. I don't know. I may have stole that from someone. I, I I'd reference it if I did, but but for that album, you know the 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 cover the back when fucking albums were albums, you know, and you had yep. a cover and you had the lyrics and you had just the inside, you know, no no pun intended. You, you looked at it, and you held it, and you looked. I don't know, man. That one. That one just holds a special uh, place, and like we said, we mentioned it, not to get off on that tangent, but we mentioned that before, but man, I can believe uh, Bob Dylan saying that. Yeah, I just, you know, um, for one of the greatest songwriters of any generation to say that about somebody is right. kind of a big deal. Uh, Bobby, did you, did you have any business you wanted to attend before we get to our top ten list? Yeah, I'm just going to give one quick shout out, of course. To all the regulars out there, thank you very much for tuning in. We appreciate it. Tell a friend. Um, one shout I'm going to give out today is uh, to uh, Johnny Candido. He got a hold of me the other day. He was on Twitter. And uh, you can follow Jeremy on Twitter at the Geekish Cast. You can follow me on Twitter at BobbyBlay744. Or you can join our, uh, sign in at our joint account at bell to bell blaze um, But Johnny got a hold of me and said he was interested in listening to the uh, episode it was episode nine that we did on chris candido so i want to give him a little shout out uh there was a couple other people there that got involved in it and then i saw where i referred them to itunes and google play and i think the bell to bell i think you sent it over to a direct link to them yeah so that's pretty cool to be hearing from johnny he he, he was uh actually <clears throat> inboxing me direct message or whatever while uh, some of the stuff was being posted on twitter so we exchanged numbers and hopefully we're talking soon it, it'd be good to catch up with someone like that you know he was just a young guy back in the day when when he was coming through Smoky Mountain with Chris, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so, really cool. Uh, yeah, that was real cool. It's good to connect like that, man. Um, so that's about it, really. So I'm just going to wait and let you give out a couple of shout-outs. And uh, if you want to help the show, you know, they can sp- uh, our sponsors are the books at this point. But, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. How's that? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, there were just a couple news things I wanted to hit real quick. Um, I just saw a thing earlier today that apparently 34 years ago today, Gino Hernandez premiered the new WCCW Texas and United States titles. And within a few days after that, the six man tag championship went from being trophy to being three belts. 
So nice. I thought that was a cool little piece of news there. Um, also, I heard uh, back from the 10 Pounds of Gold Twitter account that next weekend, when they do the NWA uh, national title, it's going to be a new belt design, and it's going to be premiered by James J. Dillon. Nice, man. What yeah. a guy to bring it out. Wow. Yep, absolutely. So he, he, he's going to award that to the champion or before the match? or I, I, I didn't get that much detail from yeah. it. Um, Either I, way, it'll be, it'll be classy, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I'm sure they'll probably do both. They'll probably show the belt ahead of time, and then right. I would assume if you have J.J. there, you have him hand over the title when it's awarded. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Cool. I think it'll be a great show. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be. It's going to be, what, an eight or ten uh, person tournament for that title. I believe they're reintroducing the women's title that night as well. Nice. Uh, nice. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Nick Aldis versus Cody Rhodes for the NWA title. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, and I think that's one of your favorites. They're going to do a two out of three, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? I think that's correct. I'd have to go back and double check, but I yeah, think I that's think correct. That, um, I think I read it on Twitter, and also I think uh, I think I heard it on Cornette's podcast. So um, I'm pretty sure that's correct. Yeah. But either way, it should be pretty awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, man. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I just, you know, it's... I wouldn't normally stay up with wrestling news, but now there's been some changes where I'm actually excited again. Right. And, and that's what this podcast does for me. It keeps me excited. I mean, it's kind of giving me a new lease on life as far as just finding my inner voice and my fan. And also bring them back, as you'll as you'll hear through this list, some of my stories, you know, of just being one of the boys and also being one of the fans, you know, that just enjoyed professional wrestling back in the day. And, and some of these are actually, um, for our younger listeners, they – they may or may not know them, but I think they'll know some of these guys on this list. I really do. Yeah. So. And, well, in a lot of the cases, you know, I think it's important if, you, if you've if you grown up in the last 20 years watching pro wrestling, all there has really been writ large is WWE. You mm-hmm. need to know that the world used to be a little bit bigger, and it looks like it's going to get a little bit bigger again. Yeah, so that's right. So to understand where things are going, you need to understand from whence they came. That's, <laughs> I like that, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, well, with that said, I'm going to go ahead, Bobby. Um, you know, you've got two books out there. You got uh, Pin Me, Pay Me, The Educational Wrestler, which people can get on Amazon, either a paper book or a digital book. And you can find it easily by going to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1. You also have I Kicked Out on Two. Oh, I, wait, I just screwed up uh, one of your titles there. Pin Me, <laughs> Pin Me Pay Me <laughs> is the first book. Wow, I'm stepping all over my own feet today. So pin me, pay me, get get to by going to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1. And I kicked that on to the education of a wrestler. You can get to by going to tinyurl.com slash blazebook2. Sorry about that, Bob. No, no worries, man. It's all good. Hey, we're just doing a podcast here, you know. That's so right. We're having fun. As some of these other podcasts, you know, I... I when dogs bark or doors shut, sirens go off, you know what? It's a fucking podcast, man. And, uh, some, I heard guys, uh, shit, I, I heard a guy talking the other day and they were referring to, uh, they was talking about Priscilla Presley, uh, but they kept talking about Elvis trying to impress Lisa Marie. And I'm like, that's the fucking daughter. You know, yeah. <laughs> she's a product of, uh, you know, so hey, um, it's a podcast, man. And uh, we want it to be pure. We want it to have fun. And we want it to sound natural. And, and it's just two guys talking about professional wrestling, something we both loved and enjoyed as we was younger. And now we're finding a, a, a true passion for it once again, as Jeremy mentioned just a few minutes ago, man. There's, there's just a lot of good reason to be a pro wrestling fan right now. We've talked about that the last couple episodes. So yeah, we're not going to worry about stumbling around on words or maybe we we leave someone off of the list or whatever and on that list you can go to the twitter accounts and use the hashtag bbbb and on this week uh talking about the scariest gimmicks that got over we had several people send in some really good lists and we took probably 60 to 70 percent of those uh names off that list either you had turned into me or i had turned into you so i think we've got a good Good grip on this week's list. What do you think? I, I think it's going to be a great list. Uh, Bobby, I know we had a couple people that could have ended up on here yes, that we, that we left off. Yes. <clears throat> so why don't you tell us who we could have put on, but we left off. We'll quickly discuss why, and then yeah. we'll do the list. Uh, yeah. Of course, a lot of people sit in a sheik. A lot of people sit in Abdullah Butcher. You know, and that's 
just two right off the top of my head they sent in that, uh, and I think, you know, I think even your last list had Abby on. I'm like, mm. yeah, let's, you know. So what we did is we just say, you know, they're, they've been on several lists, and we just kind of took them out of the picture because we wanted to do just a couple of different little things to, to let our fans know there's other guys out there. So, yeah, you could make a list of top ten scariest um, of all time, and, and certainly Abby and, and Sheik and, and probably a couple others could have been on that list. But um, we just decided not to use them on this list because they've been on several what top heels list. You can go back and listen to that episode. They've been on just the uh, bloodiest matches, you know, list. So they could be on, they could have their own damn top 10 every week. And I think you told me in, in uh, pre-production here today, uh, uh, hell, we just run out of things to talk about. We talk about the Sheik and Abby every show. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and a couple others do. So anyway, I, yep. Did I cover that okay? Yeah, I think so. I think you did. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, those two could have made this list, except yeah. we just did, in the last six weeks, we've had them on the list two or three times each. Um, they'll be on lists again in the future, so it's not a slight against oh, yeah. them. Um, also, the way we're ranking this here, there's a couple different concepts of scary. You have just, like, guys you don't want to get in the ring with, but then there's also guys who are scary because they are most like a character from a horror film so some of those made it i'm actually you know well again i love october i love halloween i love scary movies i am really looking forward to this list cool so with that being said this is episode 21 the scariest gimmicks that got over and uh you want me to start or do you want to start go ahead well number 10 is father james mitchell yes um i do understand he uh managed a good friend of yours back in smoky mountain kendo the samurai <laughs> yeah i don't know anything about that <laughs> no you know um i think this is a good coming in number 10 father james mitchell he just he had he's had such a good career but when he was um uh in smoky mountain wrestling of course uh he he he, he could talk and he was really scary. He just had his look about him, uh, Darren uh, Van Horn or whatever he was back yeah. in Smoky Mountain. But he just had his evil. He was already, I, I hate to jump past uh, the the James Mitchell, but he was already like a sinister minister, if you will, to me. He just had those eyebrows and his, this look and his talk and his voice was screechy. I don't know, man. But, um, yeah, he, he managed uh, uh, Kendo, and he also managed a damn uh, – 3,000 year old mummy. So, uh, that make a list. That might make a list, uh, in the future. We'll see about that. Yeah. But as a manager, man, um, James Mitchell, what a character, huh? He really got over and got a good, good run down there in WCW and I guess, uh, a couple other places. What, ECW? Well, ECW is where he really, really took, yeah. took off. Um, okay. He's kind of interesting that, you know, he was a fan of comic book villains. So he adopted his look based on a lot of stuff seen in comic books, like his eyebrows. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, he got that from uh, when the Punisher was a villain introduced in Spider-Man originally. So that's cool. where he got the idea of curling up his eyebrows. His beard was grown out to look a little bit like the Green Arrow, but also just to look like the stereotypical version of the devil. Yeah. Um, and he got his cackling laugh from Cesar Romero's Joker on the uh, 1966 oh. Batman TV series. Wow, man. What a character. What a character. Yeah, that's a good combo there. Thanks for that's hey, that's some good stuff right there. You don't hear on the other podcast. Yeah, and I I know James Mitchell uh, listens to a couple of these old school podcasts. So hopefully someone will tell him, hey, give us a listen that know that he made number ten of the scariest gimmicks of all time that got over. Yeah, I'm glad he got over because he's a pretty good dude too. Well, yeah, and he just that. he was always good to me. Yeah, and when he was in ECW, like I said, that's where he really caught on. But he's been on TNA yeah. and some other things. But yeah. he's one of those guys. Like when I say Gary Hart, when you look at him, you see the devil. You right. look at Father James Mitchell, you see yeah. the devil. I mean, it's yep. it's a hundred percent. He doesn't <laughs> even have to talk for his character to start coming across. Yeah, he he looks like uh, instant heat, man. So you know. The, the funny thing about that was uh, him and Brian Clark, I, I met him at Smoky Mountain, obviously. Uh, he was a nice stalker, Brian was, and then he went to uh, to WCW there. And uh, they was always real kind to me. He was there my first night of my tryout and stuff. And I, uh, we went on a road, I went like 10 days in a road to Orlando or something for some TV tapings. And, and about the first three days, we always just like the first couple of there and we shook hands. And he was like, are we going to fucking do this every time we see you, Bobby, or what? You know, you're here. And so it's just, <laughs> it is one of them things. Um, so yeah, uh, always good to me. And that's, that's nice to know. But like you said, I man, that look, that character, instant fucking heat, just looking at the guy. 
Um, with that said, let's go to another manager. Um, he'll come in at number nine, and that is Paul Bear. What do you think about that? I think Percy Pringle got scary is what I think. <laughs> I think so, man. What a fucking gimmick that was, huh? It got over huge, too. Yeah, well, and the thing is, like, it, it started off cartoony, and then you just kind of rolled with it once once you got yeah. used to it. Um, so, you know, what was Bill Moody was Paul Bear's real name, I believe. And when Rick Rude dropped his name to the guys back at WWF, he also told him that he had his degree in mortuary sciences, and that was the mm. genesis of this character. But his delivery, the oh yes line, and carrying around the urn, right. he, it was just creepy. Yeah. And we've talked about this before, and we may talk about it again down this list. I think we will. Uh, the whole production value of the WWE, WWF, if you will, when they start playing the music and the um, the uh, lightning and, and everything that went along with the Paul Bear gimmick, man, it just enhances and helps get over that much more. And it, it just makes the fans that much more involved because of the production value you see on TV. But also, I've been at house shows, and, man, they just run a, you know, I know we say a lot of different things about the WWE, but when it comes to production and putting on a show, it is a fucking event. And when you have someone like the talent that Paul Bear has to get that character over, because in the end, you still have to get it over. It don't matter how much music you have or right. how good it is or how much lightning you shoot out your ass or, or whatever it is, that character still has to get himself over. They'll give you the leadway there. And, you know, sometimes if you give enough person enough rope, they'll hang herself. But also they'll fucking or they'll get over and 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 Paul Bear got Percy Pringle the third or whatever he took that character and got it fucking over you know it, someone had to do it he did it and and I think he's probably the best one for that role just that fucking the build he had the look he had he just looked like the creepy guy that you don't want to fucking see down at the funeral home man yeah. I mean it's just, it, it gave me the creeps you know there's. I don't even like talking about funerals and stuff, <laughs> wakes and stuff like that. Shit gives me the creeps. But anyway, yeah, Paul Bear just kind of gives you that creepy. And I met him in Smoky Mountain also in the back. And, and, and what a gentleman he was, but he still had that creepy, creepy look, you know, like, yeah, do I want to touch his hand or not? You know, it just gave off that. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, icky, icky feeling, kind of, if you will. Yeah. Like he, I said, complete gentleman. But, man, I, I was curious, you know, a little bit leery. Uh, yeah, this is something I've seen on TV. They come in for a weekend, and uh, yeah, I shook his hand, a man talked to him, and it's like, eh, this is just creepy. So, yeah. Yeah, he was like Gomez Adams dialed up to 13. <laughs> he just, comparison. Yeah, he lo looked like touching him would be like touching a cold, dead snake, just kind of weird and not the right temperature, <laughs> you know, that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely not the right temperature, man. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I did want to say real quick before we move on to number eight, I think Paul Bearer might be the most abused manager ever in history. Why's he, that? Well, he was buried alive once or twice, set on fire a time or two, <laughs> stuffed in a freezer three or four times. I just think that he took more abuse and well, he might be the toughest manager of all time too. Then, Shit. oh yeah, kept coming back, you know. <laughs> oh god, we might have to think about that in the future. <laughs> Damn, buried alive, you said, frozen. What else? Resurrected. <laughs> oh yeah, set on fire. Oh god. <laughs> and and the guy the guy flipped, you know, a heel and face more often than a coin toss. I mean, it well, was that's just, true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But he was, he was definitely over. I mean, he was over as a good guy manager, a bad guy manager. He was over when he was taking yeah. abuse. Uh, you know, Paul Bearer is one of the top managers of all time, but he's also one of the just scariest, creepiest motherfuckers to look at. <laughs> yeah, with that said, Jerry, what if, what are, you know, trick or treat coming up here at the end of this month? What if you opened the door when the doorbell rang and it was mm -hmm. Paul Bearer there for trick or treat? Would you like that? <laughs> no, I think, I think I would not like that. You know what I'm actually doing this year for Halloween? Cause we, because of our dogs, we stand out front to give out candy. Right. I'm going to project the old, uh, early 1900s Nosferatu on a sheet in the window. So okay. as people approach the house, they can actually watch Nosferatu. Nice, man. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's silent film, so it's perfect. Yep. You know? And that yeah. is in um, one of the – it's in a book called A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, and that's one of the earlier films, and, and, and you really need to see it if you have it. It's a great film. Oh, it's fantastic. If you've yeah. never watched the original Nosferatu, you need to see it. Um, yep. I did hear that Doug Jones, the actor that uh, has been in – 
a bunch of stuff. He was just in that The Shape of Water. He played the fish man in there. Okay. I understand he's been cast to uh, play Nosferatu in, a, in an upcoming remake as well. And he, nice. Doug Jones is just, he, he was a mime before getting into acting. And I've met a him. Mime? A, yeah, I've met him a oh, few times God. in person. Nice. And Doug is the guy, like, if you put him in the room, like with 10,000 other people, and you said to somebody, I want you to go in there and find the guy who's probably an alien pretending to be human, everybody would go to him. He's just nice. a little too thin, a little too tall, hell of a nice guy. But, man, he can just physically act in a way most other people can't. Wow. It's, All yeah, right. Keep me posted on that. Keep the fans posted. Yeah, posting. absolutely. So we, uh, we said we talk about entertainment on this show as well, man. That's 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 really interesting to me. Yeah. So. Um, well, yeah, Excellent. he's also, he plays the alien uh, lieutenant on the new Star Trek series as well. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, with that, let's go to number eight. Yes. Number eight is Killer Kowalski. Walter Killer Kowalski. And I think, and you had to fact check me, that's okay. I think he got that name after he ripped off one of his opponent's ears. And, and I think someone told him or yelled at him directly and said, you are a killer. And that's when he took on that name, Killer Kowalski. Uh, fact check it if you want. If not, it works for me. But he also, I know he traveled alone. I, I've listened to some of the inter- interviews early on, uh, when I started listening to more like interviews on YouTube and things like that. And one of them, he was talking about being alone in his car, turning off the car radio. He would talk back to the car radio sometimes, but he also turned down a car radio and would cut promos using the killer Kowalski, that killer voice that he had and, and, and cringing up. He said he'd cringe up his hand and, and do little things like, like a mime, I guess, if you will, or mimicking, if you will. I'm sorry, not a mime, but a mimic of what he wanted to project in his upcoming promos when he became, quote, killer Kowalski. Yeah. And that's, you know, all the guys that ever, you ever really hear that got over besides a good work ethic, the one thing you hear on is they worked on their character. They mm-hmm. knew, they knew who they were. They knew how to get themselves into that role to play it. Uh, DDP, Macho Man, all these guys, like they, they could plan a whole match in their head in yeah. 15 seconds and have it all laid out. But they also knew everything their character needed to do to either, you know, get over or get heat. Um, right. yeah, the, the way I heard the Killer Kowalski thing, it was a guy named Yukon Eric who had some nasty cauliflower ears. Okay. <laughs> and Kowalski gave him a knee drop and the guy's ear popped off. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. Yes. And apparently, <laughs> apparently the story goes, who knows what's apocryphal or whatever, but that was where that started to cement him as just the villain. So yeah. they, they came up with a story or maybe it really happened that he then later went to the hospital and laughed at the guy. Oh, you know what? I wonder if that's a shoot or not. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Now, also, he was in a match, and I forgot who it was against, but uh, boxing great Jack Dempsey was the referee. Yeah, okay. And uh, Kowalski kicked him in the stomach and sent him to the hospital. Oh, shit. Which, <laughs> he is a killer. Oh, yeah, which furthered his <laughs> reputation. But did you know I yeah. found out an interesting thing about Kowalski? What's he, that? He is the first man to pin Andre the Giant in North America. Oh, is that right? Now yep. that is interesting. Yep. So if nothing else, that. if nothing else makes you a killer, doing that makes you a giant killer. That's right. Well, you know, but he had a he had a great body too, a good hard work ethic body that just was hard everywhere it looked like. Mm-hmm. It was just big, looked like big cock strong body. So, and he pinned Andre a giant. That you know, that's <laughs> yep. That's doing something, man. Talk about solidifying yourself right there. Wow. Yeah, and as how I many had, people could say that? Uh, very, it's very few. It's okay. it's not a whole lot. I mean, he had I lost so. when he was still wrestling in Europe. He had lost a few matches, but by the time he got to uh, North America, they wanted. To, that's why they never nobody ever wanted to put a world title on him because they're like, then somebody has to beat him, and that's right, not what right. we want. Um, I did see a match one t- or a clip from a match one time, and I wish I, I think it was one of the Moon Dogs, and Andre punches the guy, and as the guy's falling to the ground, Andre grabs him by the the top of his pants and pulls him back up before the guy hits the ground. <laughs> And so, yeah, I mean, you know, when you have an unstoppable man like that and you give Kowalski a chance to, you know, beat him, you're putting yeah. some, you're putting some weight on Kowalski. <laughs> yeah. Now, for sure, I could find a reference or two, but I wasn't sure, but it looks like at some point in the sixties, he legally changed his name to killer Kowalski as well. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's good to know. That's good to know. All right. You want to move on to number seven? Yeah, let's go ahead and go to number seven. All right. Number seven is Ox Baker, the heart punch. 
that man just scared me to death when I saw him in magazines when I was a kid. He just had that look to him that was just scary. I didn't get to well, see him on TV until I was a little bit older, but when I was younger reading the magazine, he had that look, and he scared me. How would you describe Oxbaker's look? <sighs> just like a big old brute. <laughs> he's like a bi- yeah, he's a big, he was a big guy and he had a Yosemite <laughs> Sam mustache and wild fucking eyebrows. Yeah, those wild eyebrows, the bald head, the big, um, he just had that big body. It was like 300 pounds, but it wasn't flabby, but it wasn't muscle. It was just, uh, solid. Yeah, just solid. Um, scary. You know, not the greatest uh, wrestler, not technical, but he's going to beat the hell out of someone. And you always heard about that heart punch, and it scared you. Um, you know, he, he killed a man in a ring was the you know word around a campfire. You know, well, uh, two two men died while wrestling him. Right, and I, I wasn't sure if it was one or two, but I heard someone died, and I think he just did what you was talking about, killer going to the hospital and laughing at, at the guy, Yukon Eric or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think Ox just went with the story that, yeah, I fucking killed him, you know. Yep. Well, um, wrestling wrestling has never been the most couth of businesses, so <laughs> you got a, a big killer guy who's got, well, let's, let's talk about that heart punch for a second. Yeah. Because that thing looks mean as shit. You know, you, you get that arm out of the way, and you slam him right in the chest, and the guys drop. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, like it, the, the Vulcan neck pinch of punches. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know what else is scary? And it puts you right down real quick. A big fucking club with a nails in it hitting the back of the head by Kurt Russell, by God. Yeah. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Remember that in Escape from New York? Man? Yeah. I, when I saw that scene, I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, in a hotel room, and and. I was in high school, and a bunch of guys, we was down there for a big track meet. And, man, when when that scene come on, we hadn't seen Escape from New York. We went to see it, and it was like, holy shit. And me and one other guy, one of my best friends till today, uh, Oxbaker, Oxbaker, we popped big time, man. And Oxbaker was in a fucking movie, you know, and, and we just totally did not expect it. We were marked out, of course. And, of course, Ox done the job for Kurt Russell. But, hell, he was a world dressed athlete, so what are you going to fucking do, you know? Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, the other memory I had of Ox, believe it or not, um, not a scary moment, but, but again, uh, a marked out moment. I was watching um, uh, The Price of Right with my grandmother. And I, I forget the year, to be honest with you, but but I know she's still alive because we were watching a, a four-model TV at the time. And uh, he, he, he got up on stage with Bob Barker and a fucking, I guess he just, you know, he's like, Ox Baker, you know, done his gimmick up there, you know. Uh, had Ox on his shirt, you know, and, and Bob put him over and he told me he's a professional wrestler and stuff. So anytime, and that's, again, let me predate myself here on what I'm saying. When things like that happened back in the day, um, it always meant something. Well, I saw a professional wrestler in mainstream, you know, uh, just from being a fan. And nowadays, I guess you just, you know, wrestlers in all kinds of movies and, and you know, commercials and with the internet, you know, it's not that rare to, to look up and see a professional wrestler, you know, doing whatever. Yeah. But, but back in the day, when you saw a guy like Ox Baker in a fucking Price is Right or in a movie like Escape from New York, I mean, you know, as a fan, you're like, oh, I'm all over that, man, you know. So, I don't know. That's just one of those things. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, it was weird when you're younger before. I mean, that's part of the, the wrestler trajectory now. Look at, you know, but Dave Batista and those guys. Right. And right. it's just, you know, you make it as a wrestler, and then somebody needs a big muscle-bound goon in a movie, and boom, you got a whole whole second act of your career, you know? Yeah. Um, John Cena's made a bunch of movies. Uh, Batista, I think, may, you know, Batista, the rock, obviously, is going to be the most famous. But I oh, think, yeah, I think Batista is going to go on to be a, a big deal in the movie world. Uh, James Gunn, you know, was fired from uh, Marvel doing the Guardians right. of the Galaxy. Well, it appears DC Comics has hired James Gunn to do the sequel to Suicide Squad. Nice. And Dave Batista wants to go with him. Nice. So there, there could be big things coming. First off, DC may finally get a good enough fucking writer and director on a movie. <laughs> Secondly, I've, I've been trying to picture Batista as Bane. I think would be amazing. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah it would be. That would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he had a hell of a good fight scene in that James Bond flick, man, a couple years back. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, he choreographed that, I guess, or someone did. You know, technical. Uh, talent came in and but anyway it was still it was a hell of a good fight scene man he got over huge in that thing oh yeah so, no he's you know but, uh, he's really good he you know, look at that yeah. deadpan that deadpan he does when he plays um drax yeah and it just you know nothing gets over my head i'm very quick 
Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Good stuff, man. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, let's keep All moving right. here. Let's yes. go to number six. I'm going to have a little bit of a caveat that I have to put in here with this one because I could have okay. swapped somebody into this one real easily and yeah. we'd be saying almost the exact same things. Number six is The Missing Link. Yeah. Now, The Missing Link was very much like George the Animal Steel. George the Animal Steel should probably be on this list, but by the yes. time I discovered George Steel, he was a good guy. Right. And That's I just, what my brother told me. Yeah, and I just have a hard time not thinking of George Steele as a good guy. Yeah. My uh, my brother, I told him about the list, and he he said George Steele. And the thing about it was, is like uh, we was in Tampa. We were in Tampa one time, and a, a guy uh, that was on a the radio there, uh, Ted Webb, they used to, you know, wrestling was huge in Tampa, Florida. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the first time he met uh, George Animal Steele. He, he and it, my brother and I was listening to the radio together, and he's like, um, uh, he said, I went over and, and He's sitting there smoking a cigarette, no, no, uh, no green tug or anything. He said, hello, Ted, how are you? You know, he, he didn't go to character when he was getting ready to go to radio, you know. And, and Ted went, went off because he's a lifetime wrestling fan being in Tampa. <laughs> and he said, I thought, he said, it's like when I was a kid and realized there's no Santa. He said, fucking George Steele sitting there, no green tug. Oh, hello, okay, Ted, hold on, you? hold on. I got to, uh, so, if, if there are any children listening, <laughs> I don't know why Bobby just said there's no such thing as Santa. Um, I'm a Grinch. (laughs) Oh God! Because I know I know Adam listens to this show with his kid. Oh shit! (laughs) So Bob is coming to see you down there in Mississippi. Don't worry. (laughs) So so I I don't know what possessed Bobby to say that, except maybe the evil of the Halloween season. I just said what the DJ on the radio said. Oh okay okay yeah. That's all I'm saying because we was talking about the missing link, and and I'm gonna let you talk about because the only thing I have really to say is is that I was in training. And, and, and Dean Malenko was talking about running in to Dewey Roberts. Who, and we was like, who? And he was telling us the story. like, yes, yeah, it's the missing link. And, and we was in a ring just talking. Dean used to do these little talks. They're really nice and funny. And he said, uh, yeah, he's – just goes along with my theme where I'm getting to. He said, yeah, you know, he's he's a nudist. And I said, that there is scary. <laughs> so, and that was boom, boom, shh. And they all kind of laughed, and Dean had ran into him somewhere in Tampa, and they had just, you know, I guess he knew his dad back in the day, and they, they spoke, and that was it. And that's really other than seeing him in the magazine covers. I think during World Class on TV, some, I'm, I, you have to tell us all about number six, The Missing Link, please. Well, The Missing Link, uh, so the reason I said we could have swapped George Steele in, it yes. was very much the same kind of character. He had to have somebody that brought him to the ring, um, so he would shave his head into these weird, almost pom-pom like spots of growing hair, but everything else was bald. And then he would paint his face blue and green. Um, he was kind of wild. He was uncontrollable. Yeah. He would grab himself by the head and smash his own head into people, which, and use the flying headbutt, which we now know is one of the most dangerous moves that can be used. Oh, yeah. But he was just, he was wild. And when you're a little kid watching him, because I'd seen him on uh, WWF and WCCW. Yeah. And he was just kind of scary. Now, yeah, boy, a killer body had that hard, that body. Yeah. And that look was scary, man. Yeah, no, and he just, he was a madman. You know, it was like somebody just, well, basically they did. They let him off a dog chain. And he'd just go in and start whipping ass, you know. It was yeah. um, a, a tried-and-true type of character to play. He scared me when I was young, and I, that's why I wanted him on here, because he was just a lunatic. But that being well, said, yeah, that being said, I could have put George Steele on here, but for me, he was a good guy, so it just didn't yeah. happen, yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else, Dan, or have to go to number five? Because I think that's a good uh, segue there for number five, what you said. Yeah. Well, let's go to okay. number five, and uh, yeah. Bobby, I'll let you intro this one, because I know that this is one of those spots where you can expand on production value as well. Yeah, well, number five, um, what I was going to say there, when you talk, basically, mm-hmm. let me back up here, yeah. with the missing link, which, what I was going to say on this segue was, um, we could have took Animal, George Yama Steel. On number five, uh, it's Gangrel, 
we could have put Vampiro in there. And the reason we didn't, and Jeremy knows a little bit more Vampiro than I do, but I was, uh, I got to work with Vampiro and he was a hell of a talented guy, but, um, he was a huge baby face when he broke in down in Mexico and he just had this following, a cult following. And I don't, I think Jeremy, did you say like more to Mexican fans that was of, of Mexican wrestlers organization would know who Vampiro was. And, um, <clears throat> And also he had a good little run in WCW, but it wasn't as strong as it could have been. I think he had some issue with the office or something with his contract. I'm not really sure. But with that said, Gangrel was number five. And that's Dave Heath. And I met Dave when he was breaking in. He got his first break in the territory up in Calgary. He was leaving when I come to Malenko's. He had been under trainer for a couple of years and wrestling off. He wasn't training. He was just tuning up to go up to, to Calgary. Dave is a hell of a good guy. In fact, he's going to be in Madison, West Virginia, uh, this coming Saturday, October the 13th at the All-Star Wrestling event up there with the promoter, uh, uh, Gary Dameron. But to back up what, what Jeremy said there with the production value of the WWF at the time and it's current WWE. And I, I get so fucking redundant saying I apologize. But yeah, when you add in the lightning and the fucking blood and, and the gimmick of the, um, uh, you know, you got your, your, your white shirt and a look and the people they put you around. You have to get that character over. And Dave, vamp, uh, shit, uh, Gangrel got it over really, really good. But also at that production, you know, just the, everything that went with that. Go ahead, Jeremy. Tell him a little bit. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he yeah, was scary. He was scary. He looks, he had those weird, uh, contact lenses, made yeah. his eyes just not quite the right color. He had the vampire fangs. He was also, he was one of those guys. His gimmick was perfect for the time it was premiered. Yeah. Hot Topic was just hitting all the malls. You know, uh, Interview with the Vampire had just come out. So the I, gothic... I was going to, the reference I had was Interview with the Vampire on that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank so that you. gothic vampire kind of thing yes. was, was hot. It was top of mind. Uh, the spraying of the blood. Also, you know, now Gingrail was a name that the WWE licensed from a role-playing game company who did a vampire role-playing game. Oh, really? Yeah, so kind of like back when it, he was the incredible Hulk Hogan, they had to pay Marvel for Gangrel, they had to pay for rights to use that name. But it also, okay. it also helped get from wrestling pop culture into vampire pop culture because now you have the synergy of the branding and the style and it's kind of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink to people who are playing the vampire games and really into it, you know? Right. Um, he, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a perfect time for a yeah. perfectly done vampire gimmick. Um, yeah, I mean, we could have put Vampiro in here, and actually, I'd forgotten about it till you were talking. Uh, Lucha Underground. Now, Bobby, did you watch the Daredevil series on Netflix? Uh, let's see. Did I? Did I? Shit, I'm drawing a blank. Well, okay, no, so I did not. I, I, I see. There was a fight scene that took place in a hallway uh, where the camera just moves from one end of the hall to the other, and it's just one continuous I was thinking of the movie. No, I, did, I didn't watch it, Jeremy. Yeah, so it's this incredible fight scene that they did in Daredevil. Okay. And the camera just it starts at one end of the hall, it goes to the end, and then turns around and comes back. And the whole time, it's, it's minutes long, and it is just constant fighting. And sometimes it goes off camera, and then it comes back into the hallway. So Lucha Underground, a handful of years ago, and I'll find the link and I'll put it out on Twitter, they did the same fight, but with Vampiro. Okay. And he ends the last fight by dropping his mask and then biting into the guy's neck and spraying blood everywhere. It was okay. an incredible piece of filmmaking done by a smaller company. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Gangrel, you know, I don't want to get too off the topic about him. No, no, no. He was, he was perfect. You know, I, I believe the Hardy Boys were introduced as his brood originally, or was it Edge and Christian? Uh, you know, but I, you know what? I think it was, was it not Edge and Christian and I think the Hardys? Was, I think that was it. I think he had them both, okay. in, but it was first yeah. thing. But, but Luna Vachon was, right. was one of his, uh, people. It was just a right time and the right place. And I understand he's still wrestling, but it's under the name Vampire Warrior now. I believe. Yeah, and I know he's always doing fanging and banging, and mm -hmm. uh, he's got a school down in Florida, so I think he's doing quite well for himself. And that's right good. on. No, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, but he was yeah. that was just a great role. He was scary. I mean, yeah. it was you know, um, it was absolutely horror movie level quality villainy yeah. that you got with him. Yeah, it was good stuff. And the thing about him, he's a very talented wrestler, a very talented worker. He really was. Uh, he still is today. He's got great body, still in great shape, still looks good. I saw him like maybe last October. I think the promoter over in Ohio had him here. 
like I said, he'll be up in West Virginia this coming weekend. So, um, yeah, I think it's one of those deals where, you know, he probably stays pretty booked this, this time of the year. Due to oh, uh, yeah, I, I bet. So, doing the Vampire Warrior or what have you, you know. Yeah, so, absolutely. Good deal. Good deal. Well, let's move on to number four, then, if that's okay. Absolutely. And uh, this guy here, man, back in the day, hell, just that look, just the way he would glare at you. Uh, there was something Uh-oh. to him. Yep. Uh, the dog's going to announce that he, he's done seen a snake. It's Jake the Snake Roberts. <laughs> Ollie has seen the snake, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, that was actually little whiskey running through the house. Oh, okay, she's, she's okay. my guard dog. So okay. I'm gonna close this door real quick. Give me one second here, Bobby. Yes, we got Jake the Snake Roberts coming at number four, and you know Jake just had that big, long, lean look to him. One hell of a performer. He he. The thing about Jake Roberts, he never wasted a move because his psychology. Mm-hmm. So when he come to the ring and had that snake. The, you know, we, he was in the business for years. You know, before he went to Vince and they they introduced the snake and, and and went on a big stage with it, if you will. But he just had it ring psychology that when he could look at you, he could have the, the bag over his shoulder. He could have the snake out. But that was one of those things, kind of like we talked about with the belt. You know. He just, he knew how to get over, and it scared the shit out of people. You'd see kids backing away from the guardrails if you were at a show or if you saw it on TV or what have you. People were legitimately scared of Jake the Snake Roberts. Well, he was, you know, you're talking about the psychology and him looking at other wrestlers, but he would hold eye contact with the camera while doing an interview. Oh yeah, that made yeah. you that made you the viewer at home fucking squirm because you're just like, dude, why why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, he did. He he had a way of speaking that was yeah. just so precise. His voice and everything was just so perfect for what he was doing. Yeah, he and, he used the right words at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, I don't know, man. He had great interview, great interview yeah. skills. He there was in your right. There was no wasted motion. In anything yeah. he did, everything was simple. Now, did he did he actually create the DDT? Well, this is what I heard, and I Ron Starr told me that he introduced it when he was out in Kansas City, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's true or not because you know everyone steals from everyone. Sure, yeah. But I, I know when we were in Canada, Ron was up there, and and he was and Jake was you know still in. Um, WWF at the time, and and he liked Jake and everything. It's just that he said, and he was talking about how good it was getting over. Really, he was putting him over. He said, "Yeah, I come up to DDT out in Kansas City." So I don't know. As far as I know, though, you know, Jake was the one that took it on a, on a obviously on a national level because he had he had went to so many he had worked in so many different territories, uh, had that skill level, and he, of course he had been in WCW before that yep. uh, or NWA or what have you um, before he went to you know with the big production with Snake. And, and everything, like I said, with WWS. So, yeah, I mean, most people are probably going to say Jake the Snake Roberts, but, you know, you could probably hear Joe Smo down the street. That's, you know, the, the old guy bitching saying, I'm the original Dr. X, and I invented a fucking DDT. And, and Ron Starr stole it from me, and Jake Roberts stole it from him. Who knows? You know, it's one of those things that everyone borrows from everyone. So oh, I absolutely. Think Jake, is the, Jake is the most over, you know. Um, and that's a deadly, we talked about in our moves, man, the DDT, if you go yes. back and listen to that episode, that's one of the most deadly fucking moves in professional wrestling, because you can fuck a dude right up. You hooked her head like that. Uh, we talked about the incident with Ricky uh, Steamboat right on the concrete. Jake yeah. didn't want to do it to him. Even trying to protect someone doing that move, um, you could be hurt, man. And, oh, absolutely. And knew how to do it. The setup with the short arm clothesline, hook you, go back to what you said about that look. Look into the camera, look into the fans, whatever it is, and then snap it down on you, and that's it, man. It's lights out. You know that's scary right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, the DDT yeah. is the is the perfect bump finisher because yeah. it it can come at any time. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. You know you could be getting your ass whipped and accidentally DDT a guy, and it's done. It's a one shot kill. Everything's done. Yep. Um, he, the way he delivered it, his setup and everything were just perfect. But yeah. Jake the Snake is scary. Yeah. It just chillingly so and ruthless. Yeah. And the DDT was a perfect move for him. And yeah, it just, I could, I remember seeing, you're right, kids in the crowd would back up from the gate yeah. when he walked by. Yeah. Um, you know, he was just a chilling villain. I don't know that making him a face was ever a good idea because I remember I, it killed him for me. I was just like, yeah. why, why, what, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. You know? 
I don't right. I don't think it helped him that's for sure. As, I mean, he still got over, but not oh, like yeah. not like he did as a heel. Yeah. You know. Now there is an apocryphal story that they were going to run a program with him versus Hulk Hogan when yeah. he was still a, a heel. Right. And the crowd was booing Hogan and cheering Jake. And so Hogan just said, nope, no more of that shit. Yeah. You I've know? heard a couple of different versions of that. What happened with, I guess his run was up uh, next with uh, Ultimate Warrior. Mm-hmm. He was coming up. Uh, Jake was going to come up next. And that's when that kind of took place, I guess, with Hogan. Uh, I, I don't know what the whole details are, but Jake talks about it on uh, Name Your Poison or whatever. That DVD talks about, you know, just sometimes luck. Not on his side, you know, yep. bad timing, or whatever. But, but yeah, I guess, um, I guess he he could have had a good run with Hogan and made a shitload of money. I guarantee that. Oh yeah, yeah, Pfft, yeah. without a but, doubt. And Hogan says, "No deal, huh? Not yeah. with someone out there cheering for the other guy." Yeah, and like I said, I'm calling <laughs> I'm calling it apocryphal because yeah. it's not like I heard it firsthand from somebody who knew. Right, it, right. But I've heard it ten million times. Right. From right. a bunch of different people. Right um, yeah, we should probably get moving because that was my yep, 45 minute that. timer. Right, 45, yes. Well, yeah. with that said, I think Jake could have been in any, in a, any of these situations. He could have been in a top five. He came in at number four. With that said, I'm going to real quickly just go back, name down 10 to four before we get into the top three of our scariest gimmicks ever that got over. We started off with number 10, Father James Mitchell. Number nine, Paul Bear. Number eight, Killer Kowalski. Number seven, Ox Baker. Number six, The Missing Link. Number five, Gangrel. And number four, you just heard Jake the Snake Roberts. And with that said, we're going to go to number three, and that is who, Jeremy? That is Kevin Sullivan. Yes. Yes. Walking out of that ocean, man. Coming up through their darkness. Kevin Sullivan, scary, scary, scary guy, man. Yeah. I, I love Kevin to death, but, man, the character... The, the way he got that over, man, the way he got himself over, man, he's just scary heel, uh, his promos, everything, the eyes, that look, the way he rolled them, uh, just everything. Tell us some more, Jeremy. Well, I, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about him in the past. Right. Kevin Sullivan, I, I realize again, he never said the word Satanism, but everything else he did, everybody around him, satanic wrestler was the albatross that was on him yeah. <laughs> you know every word out of his mouth you know he's another one of those guys that he only ran too long in a handful of interviews ever it would appear yeah everything he said was at least thought out to the point where it was just chilling and off-putting and scary and for a guy who looked smaller than a lot of people he was around he was just a tough little badass yes um, yeah. you know, I realize, you know, he's, you know, within an inch of my height, he's not as little as I think he is, but when you look at a ring full of big guys yeah. and you see somebody like Kevin Sullivan, you know, he looks smaller. You know, a friend of mine was playing blackjack one time in Reno and, uh, apparently Kurt Henning was there and Kurt Henning on TV against guys like Hulk Hogan looks small. And this buddy of mine, he's like, fuck, he's like two people from shoulder to shoulder. And at least three foot from front to back. Kurt Henning is not a small man. No, Kurt Henning was one of the biggest, strongest fucking natural athletes I ever saw in my life. Yeah. He just, uh, when I say natural, I'm not talking about any supplement type stuff. I'm just saying he just naturally, he was just a big, strong guy. He was a lot bigger than what people thought he was. Yep. And it's Uh, that, it's, it's the same that happens to Kevin Sullivan. It's, you know, you're in the ring with Hulk Hogan. Well, yeah, the guy's, you know, six and a half feet tall and 300 pounds. Fucking everybody's going to look small, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Kevin Sullivan knew how to look big. Yeah. You know, he knew how to look oh, yeah. big and he get just, over, man. He was just and like mean said, and rough. Yes. Yeah. I don't know, but we had him in, you know, at the top of our heels and, and, and things like that. So I don't know how much more we can go on about Kevin Sullivan, but, uh, I have nothing but respect for him. And, and I think he has one of the greatest minds in professional wrestling ever. And I know he's a very intelligent person about boxing and baseball and everything else too, but his character, you know, that, that's the thing that made Kevin Sullivan just uh, so believable. That's the thing. He was so fucking believable. Um, you didn't think about his height. You didn't think about his size, nothing like that. You thought about the evilness. Yep. And the things he said, and he, he was one of the people, and sometimes I think people like this in, in professional wrestling, uh, even back in the day, when someone says they're going to do something to you during a promo, they need to go out there and do that. And Kevin Sullivan usually did that. He went out there and backed up what he said he was going to do. And that's so important for your believability and to knowing where your character is going to go 
And so he knew that. He had a sense of direction. Like you said, he didn't waste, no pun intended, he didn't waste a lot of words with his promos. He he was precise and knew exactly what he was going to say and where he was going to go with it. So yeah. that's why Kevin Sullivan was number three. Absolutely. And again, you know, talking about, you know, working on your character, Kevin Sullivan, I don't know at what point he came up with the idea for the evil, semi-mystical guy that he was going to portray. But once he locked in on that, he went with it. Yeah. Yeah. And he stayed on it and he, you know, and he refined it and he worked. It's just, it's, it's a piece of, you know, character development that you don't, a lot of these guys, you don't really have a sense of who they are. Like you did with guys like Jake, the Sank Roberts or Kevin Sullivan. Yeah. Yeah. And these, you know, Kevin Sullivan, once you got a handle on who he was, what he was trying to portray, you realize you were dealing with the Aleister Crowley of professional wrestling. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. All right, man. Well, number two, is it Michael Myers? Uh, is it the mayor? <laughs> it is the mayor. It is Kane coming the, in at number two. The big red mayor. Wait, yeah, no. there you go. Yes. Well, we got us a, a, a Michael Myers reference in there for our theme, and we got us a Mayor reference in there, and congratulations to you, Glenn Jacobs, but the big red machine here, Kane, comes in at number two, scary as hell from hell, sitting fires, a little arsonist, you know, what are you going to do? Or huge arsonist, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so. Appears to have been a real problem for him. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, Kane Plant was matches. You'll get burned. Yeah, Kane was <laughs> Kane was brought in as I guess the easiest way to say is a foil to the Undertaker. Yeah, um, but he was he he was scarier than hell, especially before they had him unmask at any point. Right, and you really didn't know. And also because the WWE had been training us to their production value for so long. Right, we figured when they finally unmasked him, there was going to be some. Jason from Friday the 13th effect or something underneath it. And they shit the bed a little bit, but it didn't really take away from the character overall. Right. He's big. He's mean. He's just rough. He hits you like a fucking truck. <laughs> he has maintained yeah. this character for what, like 17 or 18 years now? Maybe yeah. a little bit longer. Yeah, about that. Um, yeah, maybe a little bit longer. Yeah. yeah. Big, strong guy. Great body. Tremendous worker when he wants to be, but as he's gotten older, he doesn't have to do a whole lot anymore. He just works, you know. Yeah. And um, uh, but back in the day, that character with the production, like you said, it scared the shit out of people. Man, one of those people when when the fire came up and all that, it's one of those things that you saw people, you know, the kids on TV, like, what's going on here? You know, hey, daddy, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, uh, they well, brought him along the right way. Yeah, and and just as you know, from a, a character design, like if you were designing a video game or a comic book villain, he was right in line with that look. He's yeah. got a theme. He's got a style. It stays consistent. Yeah. Uh, that mask was actually somewhat terrifying. You know, when mm-hmm. he was first around, the mask he wore was actually scary. Yeah. Yeah, it, I think so, too. Yeah, it just, it was a perfect horror-style villain. And yeah. I, you know, and, and then giving him the, the move set that they did where he just looked like a fucking monster. Right. He just, you know, the one handed choke slam and all these, you know, not a lot of people were doing a choke slam before him. No, he can get your ass up too. Cause he's like six ten. He can get you up in the air, man. Yeah. So, you know, you're doing way up there when you come down. I think that's going to be a great segue. We we'll have to kind of back up a little bit, Jeremy, if that's okay for our sure number thing. one. We'll go back to November 19th of 1990, the debut of Kane's brother, The Undertaker, comes in at number one. Oh, I had the gobbledygooker down for... Ah, uh, uh, save that one. <laughs> <laughs> man, oh man. The Undertaker, what do you think? Number one, well, scariest the, gimmick of all time. I, I would say absolutely. Um, yeah. I would start with just the longevity of the character. Yeah, he may be the longest employee there, as far as one of the wrestlers, one of the boys, uh, currently. Yeah, you know, um, he, especially in his younger days, I don't want to detract from anything he's doing now. Right, no. Especially in his younger days. Yeah, for for such a big guy and doing that rope walk and all that stuff that he did. um, He was another guy like Jake Roberts and Kane. The look, realizing there's been some inconsistencies here and there, whatever, changes. Yeah, sure. But... You don't have to have him say a word for his character to come across. 
it always it, sorry. Yeah, it's all it's just it, the visual package carried it so well. Yeah. Well that's gonna go to Rob Long's wanna say, and that's this. I always thought he had the greatest gimmick of all time early on <clears throat> because first of all, he had a really he was really big, tall, strong, had a good body, okay? Mm-hmm. And it could obviously work because he had worked, you know, in, in, in out in Texas and, and he worked in WCW and, and things like that. So that that wasn't an issue. But what I said was this, he had the greatest character because first of all, he didn't ever fucking take any bumps. And if he did, it was one bump. And of course, this is early on what I'm talking about. And he, in his interviews, he never had to talk. Mm-hmm. So all I had to do is go out there and perform and, you know, do the rope, do the chop, you know, do whatever. And then when he did sell, he'd go down, take the one bump, whatever it was, and then set up and kind of no sell. When he came up, the dead man, you know, boom, he rose up. That's scary. Like so you, you, you know, there's a ring, but in your mind, you're like, he's popping out of a fucking coffin. The dead man has risen, you know, like, oh, shit, that's scary. And then he, he finishes him off with the tombstone or what have you. So uh, I always thought that was really good. Of course, he it showed later on when he had those matches with uh, uh, Mankind, who could have possibly made our list, I guess. Uh, we had talked to you had sent me a little message about that. Uh, hell, he um, he was athletic, getting on top of them cages and and uh, just everything he'd done, man. He just... Uh, Fucking diving outside the ring, six foot eleven, oh, ten, yeah. whatever it is, diving outside the ring and shit like that. Man, it's it's incredible. That's why um, you know we had him coming in at number one, man. Yeah, uh, his his in ring. I mean, there's a reason they called him the Phenom, or mm. you know, yeah. The, the back then, I mean, it's getting a little more frequent now. Back when he started and coming up through his career, he did shit that big men did not do. Yeah, you well, know. Mm-hmm. That that might be true, but you know what I'm gonna do, Jeremy? What's that? I'm gonna fucking call in the Freebird rule because you're talking about big big men and done stuff they shouldn't have done. I'm gonna talk about one of those wild, legit badasses and the most scariest professional wrestlers of all time. Because I'm not gonna forget about it this week. It's fucking Bruiser Brody. I'm using the Freebird call. Uh, fucking, I'm gonna call in Bruiser Brody using the Freebird rule. What do you think about that? I think that is a perfect use of the Freebird yes, rule. Yes, I do too. We can't leave them off this week, by God. Nope. Um, there is there is a story that I love regarding Bruiser Brody, and it was a cage match with him and Lex uh, Lex Luger. Right. And apparently at some point, Brody just quit selling. Yep. And just stopped. And then I, I guess started working stiff on Lex to the point where Lex just got out of the ring and left. Yeah. It's on YouTube. You can see it. And he goes up to Brody afterwards and he goes, did I do something wrong? Brody just looked at him and said, no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> That's all he said. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but he was an inventor, inventor of that fucking brawling style. He was a big, strong man. I'm going to tell you how scary he was. This is why I wanted to break out. I'm, I appreciate you letting me break it out. And, and, and because we, we hadn't used it for a while and mm-hmm. we had left him off the list last week and we, with no intention of doing so, we just, how we didn't do a bloodiest matches, I don't know. But here's the thing about Brody, man. I was 17 years old. Uh, it's at the Huntington Memorial Fieldhouse and he was wrestling. The main event was going to be him and Harley Race. And man, Brody come through there and it was a packed house, uh, back in the day and, Man, and this was right off when the Georgia Championship Wrestling in NWA, they used to come through here, you know, once every three months. They just they just had started back in like 1980 of doing so, so it's probably the third time through maybe. Uh, and man, Brody just when they had the spotlight on the ring, and then they turned it to the the doors. Brody come out of the locker room, and the way they had it set out, they had these big ass long wooden tables, and they were legit big ass thick wooden tables down each side because they didn't have a guardrail for about the first probably 40 feet to the ring. And he just started tearing them fucking tables upside down on each side of them. And me and my buddies marked out so bad, we went over afterwards to pick up a table after the matches we hung around to see where they, they, how heavy those tables were. And they were legitimately heavy. He was throwing them like fucking uh, blowing a fucking straw house down, if you will. Yeah. Made his way to the ring, met up with Harley, and they just fucking broad and broad and broad for what seemed like forever, but it's probably, you know, 10 or 12 minutes or what have you. And, of course, it's just a double DQ. But, man, you talk about being scared because, like I said, I was 17 years old. I, I probably weighed a buck fucking 50 maybe, uh, 5'11", whatever, skinny as a rail. And, and I had some pretty big friends that was with me too, but they were all like, this is something one that you just don't want to fuck with coming through that crowd and and man 
people, he was there to fucking whip ass, man. I'm telling you. And it, it was one of the most, uh, being scared of the wrestling match is a thrill. You know what I'm saying? As yep. a fan. And, and man, I was just a young fan and it was fucking, it was scary, man. And I can't imagine, uh, just mentioning this with the Undertaker, I've heard people talk about that music hit and you get them chill buffs and that scared knowing he's coming to the ring. And that's why he's number one. But the all time man being using that free bird rule, you imagine being in a ring and fucking looking down through there, seeing Brody just coming through the crowd, Japanese people scattering every fucking where like Godzilla hit town or something, or or being a seventeen year old kid and and he just fucking throwing tables through the crowd like toothpicks. You know what I'm saying? That oh fuck, yeah, fuck man, that's yeah. number, that's the all time greatest right there, man. Bruiser Brody, the inventor of the fucking brawling style. You know, just tough, tough, tough. Yeah, Brody, Brody was something to see. I, of course, yeah. you know, I, I'd seen a, a, a recorded match or two when I was younger when they'd call him King Kong Brody. And I was like, yeah, what's up to okay. that? Yeah. Well, it's cause up, up in that part of the Midwest, nobody's the bruiser, but the bruiser. But right. outside of there, the bruiser is Bruiser Brody. That's who everybody thinks of. That's yep. the name. And if you younger people don't know who he is, you, you should go check out. Yeah. You know, I know there's matches on YouTube. Go check them yeah. out. Awesome. I understand that he was one of those guys like Terry Funk. Like even these photographers that he knew, yeah. When they were ringside <laughs> and he was wrestling, they got the fuck out of his way. Uh, they I were like, you, you. "You don't hold still in front of this man. You do not stand <laughs> where he's trying to go." Right. And Bruiser, yeah, he, um, you know, not being a horror film based or anything kind of guy, he was just a fucking killer. Yeah. And that's and he was scary because of it. Yeah, I agree, man. I, I tell you what. If you can't tell from my voice, I'm, I'm not, I didn't reach over and get a drink. I'm excited. I have to say this. This has been one of the funnest fucking lists we've done. I, I don't know how it come across on a podcast. I know we're getting ready to log off here. I'm going to say my goodbyes and let Jeremy close out the show. But here's the thing. This list to me was one of the funniest, funnest top tens that we've ever done. And there could have been some people that could have made it. Again, use the hashtag BBBB, either at the Geekish Cast on Twitter or at BobbyBlaze744 on Twitter or using the dual account of Bell to Bell Blaze on Twitter. And we got a Facebook page too, uh, a group you can join. Jeremy's in charge of that. Just go over there because this was a fun fun list and i appreciate it, jeremy because i know you liked it too thank you very much man oh, yeah no this is a lot of fun I'll, I'll tell you what i'm a little i don't know about this venue i don't think i want to come back here yeah no. there's that creepy old fucker <laughs> running around in a trench coat outside i can't yeah. help but feel like somebody's watching us the whole time we've been here i think they have and i heard that wrestling ring in the center of this room is is cursed so <laughs> i i think you know haddonfield you can kiss my ass i think is uh where i'm going with that <laughs> all right everybody bobby thank you for joining me again it's always a pleasure yes sir and everybody else uh, you know for bobby blaze and for myself jeremy vilmer bye bye everybody <laughs>